Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good, there you are. Take out the three papers that look abnormal to everything you've received so far. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about mental development. How many are familiar with the brain games that are out right now? Anybody seen those? Anybody tried those? Like Brain Age and some of those. What, what, uh, what's the theory behind those games? Anyone know? Get your brain moving, I guess. Yeah, get your brain moving. That your brain is like any other, it's not a muscle, but it's like your other muscles. That the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Today in North America, we are struggling like no other generation with memory issues, with logic functions, with reasoning. Do you know why? I do not think this is a moral issue, and I think you can go to heaven and still do this, okay? It's, that's not what we're saying. We're talking about mental development. They have done brain scans of an individual just sitting down, doing absolutely nothing at all. And there is more brain function taking place than when a person's watching television. Do you know what that means? (laughs) If muscles will atrophy when they're not used, and the average American spends three to four hours watching television a day, That's the average. I'm not saying you do that. I'm just saying it's the average. Then you have people in America, on average, their brain is atrophying at a larger rate or a faster rate than any other generation in human history. Now, am I against entertainment and all those things and about television? I know television is just a, a means to an end and it's not the box itself. It's what you watch. I'm not dealing with the content. I'm dealing with just the simple fact that when you do watch it, it is not an actively involved intelligent intelligence building activity. Are you with me? I'm not saying you should never watch it. Just realize that when you're watching it, you need to be also strengthening your brain in other areas. Are you hearing me? One of the best ways to strengthen a person's brain, and I will give you a few examples. The first one is actually modern science. Modern science has found that there are two books that have been proven to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's. Once all time, all yeah, that. Once that starts. Thanks. Once that starts, there are two books that have been proven to slow down the process. Do you know what two books those are? The first one is Reader's Digest. And that's because of the diversity of its subject matter. The second one is the Bible. If you catch it early enough when it starts, you can slow down the process by studying the Bible. Why would studying the Bible do that? Have you ever tried to figure stuff out in the Bible? Does it take some focus and some mental... It feels like, it feel, it feels like to your brain what working out on the weights does to your body, does it not? I mean, sometimes when you get done studying the Bible, you've got to go soak your head in a bucket of ice. Really? If you've never experienced that... Try it sometime. It's a rush. 
I have friends who were burnt out druggies who were pulling they were they failed they dropped out of high school never went to college but somehow Jesus got a hold of their life and they began studying their bible and everything they blew came back and if you were to meet them today I could name them to some of you know them they are names within your denomination and my denomination Great names, great biblical scholars that you would say, what? They blew their mind on drugs? And yet they're some of the most brilliant people in our church today. Pretty amazing. Myself, when I came to the Lord, I was 14 years old. I'd never read a book before in my life except for a comic book. I hated reading. And I'm not saying I'm smart now, but I know that in high school when I became a Christian, I was pulling straight D's. Couldn't pull straight F's. My mom would have killed me. Remember those stories? But I slid by. And you know, I still never really did my homework. But I started studying my Bible and I started trying to figure out some of these concepts I've been sharing this week. And within a semester, I was pulling straight A's without doing homework. I don't know what that's all about. All I'm saying is, The Bible has a tremendous ability to strengthen a person's mind. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. The world is proving that. That's why you can sell games even today that have people on a daily basis using their brain functions and their brain is getting quicker and more alert. One of the best ways to do that is by studying the Word. Let me teach you how this afternoon. We're going to pull out a simple Bible tool. And many of you already understand about this. Most of you might. But some of you don't. This is for a twofold purpose. One, this is how you strengthen your mind in the best way humanly possible. The second is for your own spiritual benefit. I don't know about you, but I hate being a spiritual carnivore. Do you know what I mean by that? When you eat a cow, you're still getting your vegetables, but you're getting them how? Second hand. If you just eat the vegetable itself, is there a reason why mom and dad said to eat our vegetables, fruits and vegetables? We're getting them firsthand. It's one thing to come and listen to a sermon. It's another thing to go to a pastor or a minister and ask questions. It is a totally different thing when you have a question. To open up the Bible yourself and use this tool that I'm about to share with you and for you to search the scriptures, find the answer yourself and walk away from that experience. It strengthens you spiritually. It also develops, guess what? Your intellect. How many have a concordance in their home? Tell me what kind you have. Strong's? Any other kinds? Crudence? Okay. Anything else? I'm going to teach you how to use the Young's this afternoon. The, yeah. The, I like the Young's and I'll tell you why. Because the Young's is easier to get right down to the basic Hebrew and Greek than the Strong's is. Now, you can do it with the Strong's. And if you have a computer, the Strong's is great because it takes out all the time. But if you don't have a computer and all you have is a Bible and a concordance, the Young's is a quicker way to accomplish the same thing. Now, I use both. I'm not saying one's better than the other. 
I'm just saying that Young's is quicker. And I'll show you. First of all, what you'll find in a Young's analytical concordance, what is it called? What's it called? An analytical concordance, that's right, or an exhaustive concordance. Those are the kinds you want, analytical or exhaustive. The first thing you'll find, you see a page that says 367 at the top and what you received today. Are you with me? Say yes. What we're going to look at is the word forgive. Now, you want to study forgiveness. And so you look up this word forgive and in the Young's. It has them listed according to their Greek or Hebrew words. Now, in the list, the English word is what? Forgive. But you realize that the Old Testament was written in and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so let's look at this. It says, forgive, number one, is from the Hebrew word. Anyone want to take a stab at it? There's no wrong pronunciation. Kafar, that's right. And it means to what? To cover. How many verses in the Bible use kafar where it's translated into forgive? Two. Do you see it there? Psalm 78 and Jeremiah 18. Now, is that the only place where kafar is used? No, but are these the only places where kafar is translated as forgive? Yes. Are you with me so far? We'll get to how you find out the other in a moment. Are you with me so far? Number two, you'll see the word forgive could be in the Hebrew nasal. Do you see that? And there's all the times where nasal is translated as forgive with a, a very summary definition there. Then you come to number three and you see the Hebrew word is what? Salak. And you see how many times Salak is translated into forgive. Then you come to the next one. And because I see it's in Luke, now we've switched from Hebrew words to what? Greek words. And the Greek word here is Apoluo. Apoluo. How many times is Apoluo translated into forgive? Once. Number five, what's that word? Kerazomai. That's right. Some of you have seen that before. And it's translated that many times into the word forgive. And then the last one, number six, is what? Atheomai. Some of you, that's small print. They make large print concordances as well. But it's Atheomai. And there's all the times where a fiamai is translated into English. So what you have just done is you have looked at everywhere in the Bible the word forgive is used. But you've looked at it in a way where you become aware, not just of the English word forgive, but you start to see what behind that English word? The Hebrew and the Greek. Now let's take a fiamai for a second. No, let's take Salak. You say, well, these are all the times that Salak is translated into forgive. Well, how can I get a handle on what this word Salak is really talking about? The first way is to, and will, it, will this take time? Does it take time to study the Bible? Yes, it's not a quick fix. You look up all of these words, all these references here to see how the word Salak is used. Secondly, you'll go to the back of your concordance, 
Pull out the page that says 42 at the top. In the back of your concordance, you will have an Old Testament dictionary and a New Testament dictionary. How many dictionaries in the back? Two. Do you see there where I've got it circled, where I've got Salak circled there on the left? Everyone with me? What this actually tells us is that Salak is translated into the word, the English word forgive. How many times? 19. It's translated into the English word pardon. How many times? It's translated into the English word spare. How many times? And be forgiven. How many times? 13. If you want to look at all the places where Salak is used in the Bible and find out what that term is really talking about. Now what you do is the same thing we did with forgive. You would go look at pardon. That's the next one. Pardon. You would go to pardon and you would find the section where I haven't given you that. That's in the book. You got to buy the book. I'm just giving you examples. You'd have to go to pardon and find the section under pardon that lists the verses that that use the Hebrew word salak, just like we did with forgive. Are you with me? Do you understand what I mean? And if you look up all the places in the Bible where that Hebrew word salak is used, it's not enough just to look up everywhere in the Bible the word forgive is used. Are you with me? Why is that not enough? Because you could have five different words in the Hebrew talking about forgiveness that talk about five different things. And are you going to be aware of those those subtle differences? Could you come up with wrong understandings of what forgive? That's why some people read verses and verses in the Bible and they think they've got to beg God to forgive them. You ever heard that before? Or you got to go to a Catholic priest and to confess and be forgiven. Have you ever heard that concept before? Those comes from a shallow way of studying the Bible. If we go back and look carefully at what the original words are and how they're used, that not only strengthens the mind, it also helps us come up with a solid answer. Now let's look at the next one. If you look down at Katazomai, do you see number five under forgive on page 367? Go back to the page that says 367 at the top. 367 at the top. Do you see where number five under forgive is katazoma? Everyone with me? Go to your third page that says 63. Now we're looking in the New Testament dictionary, the Greek dictionary. How did we know to look in the Greek dictionary rather than the Hebrew? Because all those katazomas are in the New Testament. And you'll see under Ketazomai, do you see where I have that circled in the fifth column over? It's translated into deliver how many times? Forgive how many times? Forgive frankly how many times? Give how many times? Give freely? Grant things that are freely forgiven how many times? One. And so you would look up those words to trace down this word kenazomai. And if you look up verse after verse after verse, and as you're reading these, these verses and you're praying for God to enlighten you, the same spirit that wrote the Bible can help you understand it. Amen. And you're praying for his enlightenment and his help, not some other human beings. You're praying for his help to help you understand what the word is talking about. 
you're going to see mental development in yourself beyond your wildest dreams. Does it take some discipline to study like this? Yes. And in our culture today, does it take some time? Oh, there's a cost. Does it take time to exercise every day? And if you start treating, if you exercised every day, would your body get in shape? Yes. And if you exercise every day, your brain, will your brain get in shape? Yes. And what is the best exercise for your brain? Studying the Bible. Not only will your brain become sharper, you'll become quicker. You'll be able to reason things through. You also fall in love with the one who wrote the Bible. And that's the greatest payoff. Amen. Because you'll come in contact for yourself firsthand, not through someone else. You and God, that's it. You and Him. You'll come to know each other like you've never discovered before. So I want to encourage you. It may be in little bite-sized pieces. People get... Fr- people get discouraged, that's the word. Because they see a concept like forgiveness and they look at all these verses and they think, well, I don't have time to go through all this. What if you just did it like the ants do? Do you know what I mean by that? How does an ant eat an elephant? One bite at a time. What if you just said, dear Lord, help me set aside 15 minutes a day. Just 15 minutes a day to start going through these lists on whatever subject you have questions about. Could you do this for 15 minutes a day? At the end of a month, you'll be surprised how much you know about the Bible. You'll be surprised how quicker this sucker appears getting with just 15 minutes a day. Now, why do I say just start with just 15 minutes a day? Am I saying you only need to do it 15 minutes? The thing is, is once you get hooked, once you do it for those 15 minutes and you get hooked, you're going to have a hard time just doing it for 15 minutes. You're going to be thinking, well, I got other stuff I got to be doing today. And you're going to be hooked on all the things you're discovering for yourself. That's the greatest tool that I can give you for mental development. Today, we're also going to talk about financial freedom. Take your other hand out with me. How we see is determined by how we what? No, sorry. How we see determines what? I need to do more of that. How we think determines how we... And how we feel determines how we behave. Most financial seminars focus purely on how you what? Behave. Just do the right thing. Has that worked for you so far? What I'm going to ask you to do is to make a decision today. A decision that will change the way you see, think, feel, and behave. What is it that, does, what is it that determines how we see? Do you remember from yesterday? How we what? How we believe. Do you really believe that no matter how bad your financial situation is right now, that you can be financially free. Do you really believe that? Until you are willing to make that choice, nothing that I'm about to share with you will do you any good. Because if you don't believe it, will you see it? And having not seen it, will your thinking change? 
Will your feelings about money change? Will your behavior in relation to money change? Do you believe it? That's the first question we need to answer. I can't answer it for you. You have to answer it yourself. No matter how bad your finances are right now, do you believe that God has the ability to reach in and solve whatever mess we have made of our lives, even financially, and to help us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can be free? The first principle I want to teach you this afternoon is Psalms 24, verse 1. A psalm of David. The earth is the what? The Lord's. And how much? How much? It's rolling. Got to take turns on this board. Race a little at the top. Race a little at the bottom. How much? All it contains, the world and those who what? Not only is everything you possess God's, principle number one, everybody in this world, whether they worship him or not, is one of God's children. Do you believe that? Remember, there is principle A and principle B. Got it? Always trying to climb higher, only focused where? On yourself, or you're trying to be the servant of all, focused on the needs of. Yes, principle A may. Now I say may because it doesn't always work, but you may be able to become financially free and have substance following principle A. But you will never have financial abundance and fulfillment at the same time unless you're following principle B. If you're following principle A in your money, that is many times why we don't have any. Because it's all about who? And usually when it's all about me, it's about short-term gratification. Rather than long-term planning and with a passion to help others who are of lesser means. When other-centeredness becomes the ruling principle of how you govern your finances, you will begin to see... Chains of events set in motion that bring the freedom that you believe you can experience. In saying this, Malachi 3. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you? God says what? In tithes and what? Offerings. You are cursed with the cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into what? The storehouse, so there may be food in my house. Test me now in this. That's an amazing statement, is it not? Test God in this, he says. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine and your field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What's the difference between this verse and the prosperity gospel? Haven't you ever heard pastors preach this on television before? God says, send in all your tithe and he'll bless you. You want God to bless you? Send me a check for $1,000. You ever heard that sermon? 
What's the difference between that and this? Look at the principle. Why does God ask us to tithe? It's not magical like those TV evangelists would tell us that if we just give money to them, God will somehow pour out a blessing. That's like planting a carrot seed and thinking that a plastic bag of carrots is going to drop out of the sky. Are you with me? It just doesn't work that way. But listen, follow the principle. Have you ever seen a pond that has no outlet, just an inlet? And it's just, the water just sits there, has no movement. Over time, what happens to that water? It becomes stagnant. How does it look? How does it smell? It becomes very sick, does it not? What's the difference between a body of water like that and a channel of water through which water flows? What's the water look like? Clear. What's it smell like? It's clean and fresh. Which do you want to be? Principle A, where everything's just about coming to you? Or principle B, where you're actually a conduit through which money flows? Someone says, wait a second. If money flows through me, Herb, that's my problem. (laughs) Money is usually flowing through you according to principle A. Got it? It's usually through you for you. Does that make sense? If money flows through you according to principle B for the benefit of others, have you ever seen a river in a desert? What are the banks of that river like, even though it's in a desert? What are the banks of a river in the desert like? It's green. There's veg- Is there any other vegetation in the desert? But it's there by the river. If you will become a conduit, for the helping and blessing of those around you with your money? Don't think that you won't have anything left. Your banks will be green as well. Are you with me? No pun intended. You'll have plenty for your own needs and God will make sure there's also enough there to help others with. How does God guarantee that we are a channel rather than a stagnant pond? How does he guarantee that? He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But how does he guarantee that for you, your benefit, you are a channel rather than a conduit? I'm sorry, a conduit rather than a stagnant pond. How does he how does he guarantee that and make sure that that will happen? He asks for you to give to him your what? Your tithe, your tithes and offerings. How much is a tithe? Ten percent. Principle number one, what I want you to begin doing, if you're not doing it already, when you get your income, I want you to, before you do anything else, I want you to take that ten percent and I want you to what? Give it away. What have you just insured? What have you just insured? That you're a conduit now rather than what? A stagnant pond. You've just engaged in the first intrinsic principle for success. Some will say, well, where do I give it? I'm not here to tell you. Pray pray to God. He'll tell you where to give it. He'll tell you who needs it and where to send it. Where your passions are. He'll tell you what causes resonate with you. Are you hearing me this afternoon? 
give it away. You know, the secular people of this world, the financial, secular, godless coaches of this world. Do you know they follow this principle? Anybody ever heard of a man called Donald Trump? Would you say he is a, and I'm not saying, it, I mean, this is not a judgment call, but would you say he's a, um, a Bible-thumping, um, church-attending, um, religious person? Would you, would you make that assumption about Donald Trump? What kind of a person is he? Don't say godless. What kind of a person is he? He's, he's rich. What else? If, if Principal A, you would say Principal A. And though that may, greedy, that may be true, but you know what he says? Whenever he holds a financial seminar, and I've attended them out of curiosity, I do weird stuff all the time. <laughs> do you know what the first thing he teaches people is? He says, if you want to become wealthy, do you know what he says? He says, take the first 10% of your income and give it away. He says, don't ask me why it works. He said, I don't know. But wealth follows generosity, he says. Now, is he doing it for religious reasons? Or is he doing it for intrinsic reasons? Did you Have you heard that word before? The intrinsic results of becoming a conduit rather than a stagnant pond. Now don't get me wrong. Does God want you to do it for him? Yes. But is there intrinsic blessings in doing what God calls? Why does God ask us to do things? Because it's good for him or good for you? He has our highest well-being in mind, does he not? So start becoming a tither. Make sure when you get your income, and some will say, well, Herb, is that gross or is that net? You have to decide those questions. You have to decide those answers. Do you know how you do it? Get out your Bible. Get out your concordance. And look up everything in the Bible where it says anything about tithe. Study that subject. Whether you pay it now or pay it later, you're going to have to pay it sometime. Second Corinthians 8, some people struggle with this concept. Well, why should I give money away? Notice what it says. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of what? Equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their what? Circle that word need. Is God asking you to just give to people who already have? No. Now, you've got some ministries out there who the more you give, the higher their salary gets. Are you with me? You've got other ministries out there where the minister's salary is at a ceiling. There's a limit to it so that the more is given, the greater projects and, and, and goals and ministry they can do. Does that make sense? Find a church like that that you can give to. So that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who had little, who had gathered little, had no what? Lack. It's to help pe- those who are in need. In Proverbs 13, 4. It says the soul of the what? Sluggard craves and gets What? But the soul of the diligent is made what? Take your pencils and circle the word diligent. 
What does this principle of diligence look like when we apply it to our finances? Look at Proverbs 21.10. The wise, now this is the Bible, the wise have what? Wealth and what? Luxury. But fools spend whatever they... 75% of Americans today are living from month to month. When they get it, they just spend it. When they do that, they are one paycheck away from financial ruin. Can you see that? A fool spends whatever he gets. Look at today's Living Bible, how it translates it. Proverbs 21 20 in the gray section. Do you see that? The wise man saves for the what? Future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I want to teach you the second principle. Take another 10%. The first thing I want you to do is save it. Learn to live on 80% of your income. You say, Herb, I can't do that. I'll have to go get another job if I do that. What I'm sharing with you this afternoon, even if you have to go get another job, Watch what happens to this. Even if you have to go get another job so you can live on just 80% of what you make, you will not have to work that second job very long. What I'm about to show you, you will not have to work it very long. Learn to live. Live beneath your means. Whatever it takes. Be creative. Find a way to live on how much? 80% of your income. If you do this, financial freedom will be yours. If you cannot do this, financial freedom for 90% of people will constantly evade them. This is the Achilles heel of your finances. Learn to live on how much? 80%. Give your offerings out of this. Got it? But give the first 10% to who? To God, take the other next 10% and do what? Save it. You got this 80%? A fool spends, what does it say? Whatever he gets. The wise man saves for the future. It's wisdom versus foolishness. It says the wise have wealth and what? Do you see it there? Proverbs 21 and 20. We just read it. The wise have wealth and what? Luxury. What I want you to do first with this 10% that you're saving. Now I'm going to give you some figures here. Now these are variables. Whenever you give figures, everybody freaks out. Because figures don't always apply to every situation and every person. Not everyone's the same. These are a few figures that work for the majority of people. Are you with me? You might have a special situation that's an example to the or exclusion to this, but these percentages are true for how many? All. I want you to take that 10% and I want you to save $1,000. Once you've reached goal number one, that's goal number one. Once you've reached goal number one, I want you to take that 10% and instead of saving it, 
Notice Proverbs 22, 7. It says, the man of wealth has rule over the what? Is that the way God wants it to be? But is that the way it is? The man of wealth has rule over the poor. He who gets into, what does it say? Debt is a servant to his creditor. Look at Proverbs 22, 7 from the... uh, Yeah, that one over in the gray section. It says the borrower is servant to the what? To the lender. What I want you to do after you've done number one, which is save how much? Thousand dollars. What I want you to do next is start taking this 10% and I want you to take all of your debts. What I mean by that is all of your debts, excluding (laughs) your home. And your automobiles. Are you hearing me? All of your debts, excluding your home and your automobiles. I want you to start taking that 10% and paying off your consumer debt. Are you with me? Will that take some time? Oh, yeah. And some months you'll think like this isn't getting you very far. But watch. Notice Romans 13 says, Keep out of what? Debt. Oh, no man. Anything except to what? Love one another. Are you here today? Is this stepping on too many toes? Deuteronomy, put it in the basket. Deuteronomy 28. <laughs> We're not going to do another meeting. Ask me afterwards. Deuteronomy 28. It says, The Lord will open for you His good what? The heavens to give rain to, to you, your land in its season, to bless all your work, the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not what? God doesn't want you to have to go into debt. He wants you to be the one what? Lending. It says the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will only be above. You will not be underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully, do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods and serve them. For many people, money is their God. Instead of following biblical principles, they're just after their money and to spend it on the things that they want rather than learning to govern their finances the way God asks us to. Take the first 10%, give it to Him. Take the second 10%, save $1,000. Once you've got that, start paying off all your credit cards. Will it take some time? Will it take some time? And some months, once again, you'll feel like, well, I'm not getting very far each month. It's not how fast you get there. Just be in the process. Are you hearing me? Just be in the process. Proverbs 21.5 Steady. What is that next word? Plotting. Oh, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Get rich quick. That sounds like fun, huh? Plotting is the most boring thing on the wor- in the world. What I'm giving you this afternoon is a financial plan. And it's as boring as anything else on the planet is. There are months where you're going to be doing it. You feel like I'm never going to get to the end. Don't worry about that. Steady plodding brings what? Say it with me. Steady plodding brings prosperity. Steady plodding brings prosperity. When you're tempted to take that 10% and do something else with it, rather than paying off your debts, steady plodding brings prosperity.
It may not look like you're getting anywhere, but just keep plodding. It will work. After you've got all your consumer debts paid off, you'd be surprised how fast a person with an average of $30,000 in credit card debt, those people exist today. If they will follow this principle, most Americans can be out of all of that credit card debt in two years. You aware of that? That's an average. That's most. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, those whose riches were lost through a bad what? Investment. Don't be tricked while you're steady plotting for these get-rich-quick investments. Got it? Just keep following this principle. Once this is gone, what I want you to do is come back up to this when all you have is a car and a home that you owe on, I want you to come back up to this $1,000 and I want you to start saving until you have six months expenses in the bank. Are you with me? Once you have six months expenses, now are you living from month to month or do you have some, some, some uh, buffer room? If you lost your job tomorrow, would you have some time to find another one? Yes, these these are figures. This six months is not a figure. It's a it's a it's a percentage. It's the same nature as a percentage. This is universal. Every person in America. Do you know what life would be like? How many arguments would take less arguments would take place in the home? How much financial stress would be alleviated? How much. Need. Senseless need would be solved if every American could just have that in the bank, untouchable at any time, just in case they lost their job. Wouldn't that be a cool place to live? How many think that'd be a cool thing to even have? A cool place to be for yourself. Will you get there tomorrow? No, but if you learn to live on that, 80% steady plodding will bring what? Will that, this second 10%, will it eventually become six months? Yes. Will it happen tomorrow? No, but steady plodding brings prosperity. Once you have that six months, come back down here, then pay off your car. How many think it'd be cool not to have an auto payment? Car payment. Yeah, I don't either, but I hear you. How many think it'd be cool not to have a house payment? And don't say you don't have one you rent. That's a different subject. But how many think it'd be cool not to have to pay, but have your house paid off? To have your, check this out. This 10%, there is one step I forgot to share with you. This 10% is in addition to what you're already paying on your consumer debt. Got it? Once you pay those off, what do you do with the money you were paying to those outside of the 10%? You add it to, well, once you pay them, yeah, it keeps accruing. What do you do with that money you were paying to your credit cards once they're paid off? That's how you get to the six months real quick. I know a guy who's paying $600 a month in credit card bills. If he didn't have that to pay, how quickly 
Would he get to the six-month mark if he could put 600 plus 10% of his income? If he could put $1,000 a month into savings, how quickly would he get to six months' worth of income? Well, yeah. Well, you can figure that through the percentages, the difference between 600 and 1,000. But you understand, it would be quick. Once you get this done, take everything you were paying on your credit cards and this 10% and now pay it where? On your car. Then take your car payment plus everything you were paying on your credit cards plus this 10%. And where do you add that to? Your house. Most people can be out from under their house in five years. Now, California, it might take a little longer. You guys have weird house prices out here. It's nuts. Might take you five and a half years. But hear me, it does not take 30 years to pay off a house. It takes 30 years to pay off the interest on the house. You can pay off a house much quicker than you think. Than you think. So once you have all of this paid off, wouldn't it be nice to have six months? I mean, just see it for a moment. Can you just see it? Just picture it. Six months salary in the bank. No credit card payments. No automobile loans. No home debt. How many think that would be an awesome place to live in? Wouldn't that just bring you peace? That alone would bring you fitness and health, would it not? It can happen if you will learn to live on how much of your income? 80%. And it may take some time, but eight years from now, if I told you that in eight to ten years from now, you could be in that spot. Hear me. The best time to plant a tree is when? 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. If you will begin this process today, eight to ten years from now, you can be, most people in eight to ten years can be right here. Now, some of you are in extra situations and it can take you longer. Or you might have to have additional steps in some of this because every situation is different. But for most people in eight to ten years, they can be living a debt-free life. And all of that money, can you imagine what your income would be if you could just take what you're spending on all this stuff and spend it on something else? Now watch what happens. Yes, we began this verse in Ecclesiastes. When those, when those riches were lost through a what kind of investment? Bad investment. He had father to son and there was nothing to support him. As he came naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Are there such things as bad investments? Yes. But if there's a bad investment, there's also such thing as a good investment. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting investments down. But I do strongly suggest investment education. Are you hearing me? There's no such thing as a risky investment. Are you hearing me? There is no such thing as a risky investment. There are only risky investors. You want to be educated 
to where you don't take risks. Now, hear me in saying that there is a level of risk to every investment. Isn't that true? There's a level of risk. But hear me. If you got six months in the bank and you've learned how to live on 80% of your income, got it? That's where all your offerings are coming out of too. And 10%, that's going to God no matter what happens. What do you have? You, matter of fact, this is more money than you had previously. You didn't have to work that job very long because what was disappearing? Some of your payments, weren't they? It was dwindling. So this 80% was actually becoming more to live on. Once this happens, if you lost this, would you suffer? Would the cause of God suffer? Then you have something to mess with that doesn't hurt you or the Lord's work. That's a no-risk investment, isn't it? You might lose this, but you weren't using it anyways. You've been living for years without it. Got it? That's where Jesus comes in with his parable in Matthew 25. And we like to apply it to all kinds of wild and zany things. But let's not spiritualize it. Let's just take it literally for a moment. Are you with me? It says, if, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own slaves and he entrusted his possessions to them. And the one he gave five talents to another how many? And to another how many? One. Each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Now hear me. A Greek coin had the value of about... The talent was a Greek coin with the value of about 5,000 to 6,000 denarii. How much was a denarii? One day's wages. To give someone one talent is to give them 16 to 17 years wages. That's a lot of money he gave them. And he gave the worst one how much? The other guy he gave how many? Two. That's 40 years wages. The next guy he gave how much? Wouldn't you like someone to give you five years wages? Say, here, keep this for me. Sorry, did I say five? I multiplied it. It's a hundred. I multiplied it by 20, rounded up. It's math, never mind. It's 100 years wages. Notice what it says. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents, 100 years wages, he went and he traded with them. And he gained what? Oh, he doubled it. That's a pretty good investment, isn't it? In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained how much? He doubled it. He who received one talent went away. He dug a hole and put it in the ground and hid it. Hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who received five talents came up and brought him five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. The master said to him, What? You invested my money? Don't you know investments are risky? You risked the money I gave you? Is that what he said? He said, well done. Well done, good and faithful slave. Wow. You were faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 
The one who received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master but his master answered him and said to him, "You wicked and lazy what? What was the problem with the slave? Yeah, he had the wrong picture. There's lots of things we can gain from it. He was he was risk adverse. But notice, I knew that you reaped where you had not sown. What did he really know about his master? What does it take in order to reap where you don't sow? What do we call that? That's an investment. Did he know that his master was a shrewd investor? But he thought he was a hard man. He feared him. But he's a shrewd investor. I better not lose it. He hid it in the ground. The master said, you're lazy. You're lazy. You knew that I reap where I did not sow. Gathered where I scattered no seed. You should have at least put the money in the bank so that on my arrival it would have at least had what? What's interesting about this parable is that's the very least he wanted his servant to do. Some people think, well, I've got my money in the bank. Well, praise God you're at least doing that. But that in the kingdom, according to this parable, is the very what? the very least therefore take away the talent from him give it to the one who has 10 talents he knows what to do with it everyone who has more shall be given and he that will have an and he will have an abundance but from the one who does not have even what he does not have will be taken away throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth that's a hard parable isn't it now i know there are spiritual applications to this parable i'm not ignorant I believe that the money and the talent that was given represents the principle of stewardship over all the things God has given us. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Whatever talents and means God has given you outside of money, you're to follow this same principle of doubling them and building on them and using them for the kingdom, correct? But is money one of the talents God has given us as well? Are we to be stewards of our money as well? And according to being a, to this parable, if we take these principles and say that money is one of these talents represented here, then by the parable itself, just living debt free and putting in our bank in the money, our money in the bank, is in the eyes of the kingdom the very least we could do. Are you with me? What would happen? If you took this 10% and you learned how to to invest it in such a way where you created income for yourselves that still you followed these same principles of 80-10 but you were getting extra income every month so that the 80% was a larger amount and the 10% was a larger amount. Would that be a benefit to the kingdom? Would it be, would your, the banks of your river be green as well? 
But would the kingdom be supported? I hate to say it. We look at money as an evil, and I know there's a great potential for harm. But money is not evil. It's the love of money that is. It's taking our money and operating it according to principle A that's an evil. Do you remember the A and the B? That's what is the root of all evil. The reason that churches around the world are able to do what they do is because of people who have followed these principles who are wealthy from that which they've invested in. They are the ones that usually make the difference between a church being able to fulfill a project or not. Now, don't misunderstand me. Does God love the two widow's mites? Yes. And what was so beautiful about her was that she gave how much? She gave all she had. And that was what was beautiful. Amen? And that principle is watertight. But hear me, I know God can bless the two mites. Wouldn't it be nice if you could give more than two mites every month to God's church? Wouldn't it be? If you could see things in the church that needed your help for them to succeed and you had the means with which to make it happen. Do you think there'd be fulfillment in that? Happiness in that? Where you felt like even your money was supporting the kingdom? Understand the motive for you in applying these principles, is not so that this 80% can get bigger. The motive for the Christian is so this 10% up here will get bigger. Because if you're faithful to this from the beginning, no matter how much your income increases, this is going to increase with it, is it not? In Ecclesiastes 5.13 There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded to their own, by their owner to his what? Hurt. Remember, don't be a, a pond. Be a what? A stream, a conduit, a river. Deuteronomy 8. Beware that you do not forget the Lord. If you follow this plan, will you have abundance? Yes. Even if you have some poor luck with this, will you eventually get it straight in abundance? If you keep steadily plotting, will you have abundance? And there are some beautiful Christian ministries out there that can help you learn how to invest this 10%. Hear me. You have no business checking out those ministries until you've first done the thousand, paid off the consumer, saved the six month, paid off your car and your home. Once that's done, then check out those Christian ministries that exist. Got it? Why do I say that? Because you're wasting your phone bill if you call them up and tell them you've still got these things in your life. Do you know what they'll tell you? First, let me show you. They'll tell you the same thing I've told you today. Let me show you how to get rid of those. And then you call us back. They will not teach you how to invest until you first followed biblical principles with the rest of your life. Once this is done, get in touch with some of these Christian ministries that are out there whose sole purpose is to help Christians learn how to invest wisely for the kingdom. Are they out there? Yeah. Anyone know some of them? Crown Financial, they don't pay me to say this. Crown Financial is one of the best. And once this abundance takes place, Deuteronomy 8, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments 
and his ordinances and his statutes, which I've commanded you today. Otherwise, notice the warning. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you've built good houses and lived in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. You'll forget that the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of your slavery. Why are you experiencing the abundance that you're experiencing? Because you followed principles that he taught you. Who's the one that brought you out of your financial bondage? Are you here today? It says he led you through the great and terrible wilderness. Did the Israelites sometimes think they were just steadily plotting? But did they get to the land of milk and money? I mean, honey. That's America. With its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you. That he might test you to do good, to do good for you in the end. There are going to be months where you feel like, Lord, I just can't live on this this month. There's too much going on. Were there times in Israelites journey through the wilderness where they were tested? Stay faithful to do good, do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you would remember that the Lord your God, it is he who is giving you the power to make what? That is a God given talent, is it not? The power to make wealth. Does God give that to people? That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely what? Perish. Who is it that once we're experiencing all this abundance, who is it that we are to remember has given us the power to make this wealth? It's God. Now, is this the prosperity gospel? What's the prosperity gospel say? If you just do what God asks you, he'll bless you. If you're a Christian, you'll never be poor. Is that true? Yeah. But if you follow the principles of other centeredness and discipline and diligence, even in your finances, why are you doing all this? Will this be some delayed gratification? Will this take self-denial rather than self-gratification? And if you follow the principle of looking at the long term that one day you want to have enough of this and enough of this to where you can actually give more than 10%, wouldn't it be cool to do reverse tithe? I have a friend who reverse tithes. You know what that means? He gives God 90% of his income and he lives on 10. And he has enough to do that. But how many think that would be cool to do? Can you imagine? Great things can be done. Great things will be able to be done. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your goodness today. And Lord, it is not your desire for any of us to be struggling month after month, worried about how we're going to make ends meet. 
That's not your desire. And I know there are exceptions and there are circumstances outside of our control. There are variables that we have no control over. But, Father, there's a lot of variables we do have control over. And we've not been biblical stewards. We've not followed biblical principles. First of all, Lord, today give us the courage to believe that you can liberate us from the bondage we've gotten ourselves into. And Father, once we believe that, give us the courage to see that it's possible to think differently towards our money, to feel differently towards our our situation, and to start making choices that aren't about ourselves, but that are for the benefit and helping of others. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen. I want to pass out a card before you leave, and then Jim's going to do the drawing. Russ, could I get your help with this? Anyone else want to help? Thank you. What this is, oh, I gave one away, Russ. I need to read it. Simply says, please enroll me in Renewed Heart Ministries free follow-up home study course. If you're interested in pursuing further some of the topics that we've heard, whether it be emotional healing, fitness and health, spiritual fulfillment, mental development, or financial freedom, whether you're interested in any of those subjects or just wanting to get to know God better. Fill out this card and leave it on the registration table on your way out. Matter of fact, I don't think, you see it says home study, and that's normally the way it occurs. But I actually, if I'm correct, Pastor Jim here of the church that invited me to come, he's going to start doing a class once a week on Sabbath mornings that that will be the follow-up course for this. So if you're interested, just leave the, the card on the table, and we'll make sure you get the information for that. Any questions about what we covered today? There were some questions. We're not doing question and answers tomorrow. Any questions? Yes. The thousand dollars and then the six months. If it's yes. sitting in the bank, it shouldn't go away. Can you do what? What do you do with that thousand dollars to protect it from? You put it in a different account. You do whatever you have to do to get it out of the flow of how things are working. Yeah, you can't you can't use it for overdraft protection. You get it out there where it's only for emergencies only. Emergency. Well, you have to use your head. Yes. Yes, that's on there. Understand most people most people define wealth as just increasing your net worth. But the net worth increase is a deception because you can be worth a lot. And I'm not saying that's not important, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're wealthy. There are people that have a high net worth, but they don't have money to pay their bills. Have you ever met those kind of people? Having a high net worth doesn't help God's kingdom. It doesn't. It just what? Sits there. Cash flow is what increases God's kingdom. Getting those percentages higher. Let me quote someone for you, those of you who who are familiar with these sources. Was there ever a time in our history where there was a little lady in our church who encouraged people to sell their houses and to get rid of their properties and not hold on to their net worth, but to take that money and use it for the kingdom? Was there ever a time where she said that? 
Did she understand the difference between net worth and liquid assets? Did she understand that? She didn't tell everybody to go do it. She says the Lord will tell you when you need to. But notice a high net worth doesn't help God's kingdom. It just gives you a greater sense of security. Now, I'm not saying net worth isn't important, but net worth alone is not what God wants to give you. He wants to give you a net worth that's stable with a cash flow that has been increased so that it can flow through you to to the needs of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Anything else? Any other questions? That's a good one. Thanks for bringing that up because I'd passed over that. Yes. Yes. That's right. Many people use that fund to do that and then they replenish it. But it is also a good idea to have an additional fund. Yes. Yeah. So we don't go back into consumer debt. Any other questions? Well, good. That means either I explained it so well there are none or I did such a poor job you don't know where to start. Or no one Yeah, that too. <laughs> That'd be nice. I believe that when I see it. There's no such thing as a church like that yet. But, yeah. Yes, yes, some people say that. And, and I say tear up them all but one. I say tear up them all but one. I, I am not a, you know, I'm not one of those people that says cut off all options. I'm one of those people that says learn discipline. You know, so. You can't, yeah, I can't rent a car with, well, you can, but it's, anyways. Yeah. Any other questions? Good. Oh, yes. That's considered outpatient care. And what I mean by that is that's money that parents help their kids with once they're grown. And that, and, and I want to say, and th- these are strong words and don't hate me for them. I don't aim them at you. But it's been proven statistically that children who have outpatient care, it helps them in the short term, but it doesn't help them in the long term. I have a father who has been financially independent for years, but I've never seen one pity of it. Um, but I'm glad I haven't because it's pushed me into a position where I've had to learn on my own. I have friends whose parents still help them. And so whether that's tithe or not, in my opinion, it's not. But you need to study the Bible and find out for yourself. My greater concern is not that you're using your tithe money, but that you're enabling your children. You're not, you're not putting them in a tough situation where they have to learn better financial principles. So there, you know, there's two issues there. But that's a good question. Good question. I know. Right, right, right. Um, you need to pray about that and study it. For me, it wouldn't be. It'd be offerings. It'd be offerings, but it wouldn't be tithe. Yeah, there's, yeah. 
It's an application of the storehouse principle. And I am not hard-nosed about application because it's an application. We're taking these ideas of tithe and storehouse and all these things out of an agricultural society and trying to put them into an industrial information age society. And sometimes the applications aren't always clean. Sometimes they're a little dirty and they're a little gray. But for me, the storehouse means this is money that goes to God. You're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. He didn't say you're robbing your children of the tithes and offerings. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of, yeah, you, you study that out and see. For me, it's not tithe, but you study it out. Any other questions? All right. Good. Thank you so much for having me here these last 10 days. I'm going to turn the time over to Jim. God bless each one of you. And please check us out on the web. I do want to say this. If you look on the back of your handouts, you'll see the ministry that I am with and director of. We don't charge money to come and do these series. Renewed Heart Ministries gets nothing from what I've done for the last 10 days. It doesn't pay a salary. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything of that nature. This has been the gift of this church and the gift of our ministry to you. And so thank you for being here. If you would like to get on our newsletter, go online and sign up or make sure that I have your name and address before you go. Um, it's absolutely free. You get a monthly newsletter. You also get a free uh, CD every month, a free sermon. We also send out daily emails and weekly devotionals and all kinds of things of that nature. All of that's free. We just, you know, I have a hard time charging people for that, which God has given me for nothing. So, I, you know, it, everything we do is free. And so if you would like to partake of some of those or to just be enriched by some of the resources we offer, check us out on the web. Give me your name and address before we leave. We'll put you on the mailing list. And if God should so move and you would like to be become one of those monthly partners that help us be able to give all this away for free. You pray about that and see what God says. But God bless you and thank you for having me.